Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, We guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Happy Saturday to one and all. Welcome into the Azunia Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you once again. And coming at you in the second segment, J.D. Sharp. He is a terrific broadcaster out here for 720 in the lovely city of Las Vegas. And he also came up with the new website, sportsbetiq.com. He's going to be joining me about how he's using his website to be able to track his bets a little bit better and how the books just do not help you whatsoever in becoming a better handicapper. They don't really give you any information on your bets or anything like that, and he's a guy that he does a whole lot of it, so he came up with a software to be able to help him out. I think that that's going to be very interesting, and we're going to gather what he's all found with tracking his baseball bets for the year. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, you guys fired in a couple Twitter questions, and you're going to get some answers. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mail bag. This one comes in from Jeff Wade at jwade6161. Going to be shortening this one down a bit at Gnerscore81. What information are you looking for prior to betting this or waiting for better line value on a specific play? And he was asking in regards to Rangers versus Astros since I was holding out trying to be able to get the biggest plus price possible on the Texas Rangers. And typically, whenever I'm holding off on betting a game, about 99% of the time, it is me waiting on a more favorable line move. 
It's one of those things where typically I'm pretty set on being able to make a play like yesterday, the Rangers versus Astros game. I was trying to see if like plus $2, which is what I was seeing at the Westgate for most of the day, would go to plus 210, something like that. And you always obviously have your contingencies in place if you see the mind moving in a different direction. But it's just one of those things of just trying to maximize the value because if you pick winners, that's always great. But picking a winner at plus 140, a little bit better than picking one at plus 130. And heck, we always have losing bets as well as much as it stinks losing minus 110 on the juice always better than losing minus 120 so I am always shopping for line moves and typically whenever I say I'm holding off on a play whenever I'm doing touch them all typically it's because I am looking for a favorable line move Francis Bacon at the Baconator underscore FTS still one of my absolute favorite Twitter handles actually underscore D1 did you take into account the long layoff with the all-star break potentially leading to offenses not swinging the bats hot in your capping for today and this was in regards to the games for Friday and absolutely I did It's one of those things where the bullpens are very well rested. We know how bad bullpens have been so far this year, and that is something I took into account. The starters also have a couple extra days of rest, which the starters aren't as important to me because starters oftentimes do have their start skipped for a day or two. They get pushed back a little bit, so that wasn't the big thing. But knowing that you've got a bunch of guys in the bullpen that have not pitched in several days was paramount in handicapping the games for Friday, and they're going to be big in handicapping the games for today and tomorrow because now you know that the bullpens are a little bit more fresh. These guys do have a little bit more ammo left in the tank. So it is something that I'm definitely taking into account with my handicapping, and it does give, obviously, a little bit of an edge to the pitchers because with hitters, you notice that when you're playing every day, it seems like they get into a form a little bit more. With pitchers, you just get tired. You can swing the bat a lot longer than you can pitch a baseball, in my opinion. That's just the way that I look at it. So great questions, guys. Thank you so much for firing those in. Now let's take a look back at Friday's results, try to become better handicappers from it, and try to find some trends. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We certainly saw some good pitching early on between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Chicago Cubs. Game was 0-0 going into the bottom of the seventh inning, and then Chris Archer decided to be Chris Archer. He went six innings in this one, giving up all three runs in the bottom of the seventh inning without recording an out in that inning, and the main damage was done by a home run by Chris Bryant, his 18th of the season, and then with the Pittsburgh Pirates, they were able to claw back, and they were able to get three in the eighth inning, as Pedro Stope wound up giving up all those after a very solid U Darvish shirt. Six innings pitch. He gives up just two hits, no walks. By far his best outing of the year. But then the Pittsburgh Pirates were able to jump on that bullpen as Sterling Marte hit the big shot of this game. A three-run home run in the eighth inning. His 13th home run of the year. But then Kyle Crick gives up a run in the eighth inning to the Cubs. And then from there, Craig Kimbrell was able to close it out. Craig Kimbrell, going to be an impact player, by the way. Looked like he was a little bit rusty going into the All-Star break. Got to think that that's going to change. Something that's been changing for the Washington Nationals is the fact that their bullpen looks better. They shut out the Philadelphia Phillies by kind of 4-0. to Steven Strasburg had a very good start in this one. Six innings pitch. Did give up seven hits, but he was able to evade danger. And then from there, Wander Suero, Fernand, oh no, Rodney, and Sean Doolittle all combined for an inning of relief. And for the Washington Nationals, they weren't able to get the big hit in this one. Went just 2 of 12 with Ben in scoring position, but they were able to pound out nine hits as Nick Pavetta was just giving up a little bit too much contact in general. Five innings pitch. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. 
Certainly had a couple decent starts out there in the month of June, but certainly not a guy that I'm going to be looking to bet on too much. 581 ERA. I will say from there, the bullpen of the Phillies looked pretty good. Ranger Suarez gives up a run in relief, but then you had Edgar Dar. Edgar Garcia, Jose Alvarez, and J.D. Hammer all provide an ending of relief as well. But for the Philadelphia Phillies, 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position and left 9 men on base. Clearly not a good sign there. The Toronto Blue Jays were hot with their bats going into the break, having scored Five runs or more in 12 of their last 15 games. In this one, they were blanked as the New York Yankees get a 4-0 win. Domingo Herman looking like a ace for this team ever since coming off the injured list. He has been very solid. Six innings pitch. He does not give up a single run. And then from there, Tommy Canely goes an inning not giving up a single run. And Chad Green finishes off the last two as for the Yankees. They didn't have a home run in this one, but they were able to pound out 10 hits. You did have Edwin Encarnacion getting three RBI as well. And the team went just one of 12 men in scoring position. So the overs of the Yankees were not able to come through in this one. And Aron Sanchez continues to be one of the least profitable pitchers we've seen in a very long time. Five innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned now as a 6.22 ERA. Why he's still starting, I don't know. But the good news for the Toronto Blue Jays is that Sam Gavilio provides two innings of relief without giving up a run. And Justin Schaefer, an inning himself while giving up just one hit. So that was good. And the Toronto Blue Jays, they continue to struggle a little bit. The Tampa Bay Rays continue to win games by two plus runs. Now 48 out of their 50, now 46 out of their 53 wins have been by two plus runs as they take down the Baltimore Orioles by kind of 16 to four. Dylan Bundy just got shelled. He pitched one inning, giving up eight hits, seven runs, all of which were earned. The man that relieved him, Gabriel Yanoa, though he went five and a third innings, he also got shelled. He gives up nine runs, seven of which were earned. The thing got so bad that Stevie Wilkerson, position player, had to pitch in the ninth inning. If you're looking for one sign of encouragement for the Baltimore Orioles, Renato Nunez, his 21st home run of the year, and Yoni Chirinos has now seen each of his last two starts go over after he was 1-10 and 10 to the over in his first 11 starts. But in this one, it wasn't because of him. He won seven innings, gave up just two runs, including that home run. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, they were able to get two innings of relief out of Ian Gibout. I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. He gave up two runs in those innings, but good time to experiment with things. As for the Tampa Bay Rays, their two home runs came off the bat of Nathaniel Lowe and Tommy Pham. For Pham, his 14th home run of the year, and Lowe his third. A team that was getting real low with regards to the amount of runs that they scored, the LA Dodgers. They played just one as the Boston Red Sox take them down by a count of 8-1. to one. The Red Sox have not necessarily been the best team at Fenway Park, but in this one, they were firing on all cylinders. And Eduardo Rodriguez, a man that has a better, better fielding independent than an ERA, could be a guy you might want to look to bet on in the second half of the year. He goes seven innings in this one, gives up one run. That one run was a sole home run as Alex Verdugo went deep in the second inning for his 10th home run of the year. But Kenta Maeda wound up going five and two-thirds innings. He gives up three runs, including two home runs. And then JT Rigos gave up a home run on the bullpen as well. For the Boston Red Sox, Xander Bogarts gets his 18th home run of the year. Rafael Devers his 17th, and Christian Vasquez his 15th as the Red Sox are slugging out the home runs. And a guy that wound up getting slugged in general was Pedro Baez. He winds up giving up three runs while recording just two outs. And Chirigos, who I mentioned earlier, gave up two runs while recording two outs himself. So the Boston Red Sox seem to have things clicking. They're now 50-41. and 41. Another team that has things clicking out there in the American League, the Minnesota Twins. They get a 5-3 to three win over the Cleveland Indians. Indians entered into the All-Star break white hot. They seem to be doing better with the bats, but in this one, it was really... Carlos Santana, that was the only guy that was supplying power. His 20th home run of the year is for the Minnesota Twins. 
it was really the bullpen that stepped up for them. They wind up getting five and a third innings out of the bullpen between four different guys. They allow a grand total of two hits and no earned runs. As for Kyle Gibson, he only won three and two-thirds innings. He gave up three runs, but only one of which was earned. He was hurt by a pair of errors, and he did give up that home run. But for the Minnesota Twins, they were able to get up off the mat thanks to a Mitch Garver home run in the eighth inning, his 14th home run of the year. And then Nelson Cruz winds up hitting his 17th home run of the year. That was off of Mike Clevenger, who had a good start in this one. He's been certainly up and down ever since coming off the injured list. Five innings pitch in this one. He gives up just that one home run, but it was the bullpen that was hurting the Cleveland Indians along with errors. Nick Goody winds up giving up two runs, both of which were unearned due to his own error. Please tell me why these are unearned runs when the pitcher is the one that creates the error, but that's beyond me. Alvar Perez gave up a run and then Tyler Clippert as well. And that for a Cleveland Indians bullpen that is number one in the big leagues with regards to ERA. A bullpen that certainly is at number one in the big leagues with regards to ERA is that of the New York Mets, and they wind up falling to the Miami Marlins by a count of 8-4. to four. Jason Vargas looks like the wheels are starting to fall off of him. Five innings pitch. He gives up six runs, all of which weren't, including two home runs. Following him was Robbie Gazelman. He gives up a run in an inning. That was a solo home run. And then you wound up having Mesa coming out of the bullpen for... Five outs, he gives up one run himself. As for the Miami Marlins, trio of home runs. We haven't seen this from them very often. Garrett Cooper, his ninth home run of the year. Brett Anderson, his 12th. And Curtis Granderson, his eighth. As for the Marlins, they got a quality start out of Caleb Smith. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, none of which were earned. Now, the five walks are a concern, but he looks to be rounding back into form after coming off the injured list. Adam Conley gives up two runs out of the bullpen, but by that time, the Mets were already out of it. The lone thing that you could say for the New York Mets is that they did get a home run out of Todd Frazier off of Conley and then ninth inning, his 12th home run of the year. Really the lone bright spot there. And the New York Mets, by the way, one of the top five teams out there in the major leagues with regards to over percentage. They're hitting at nearly a clip of 60%. A lot of which is due to their bullpen. The most profitable team out there in the big leagues with regards to money made at home is the Texas Rangers, and they wind up erasing an 8-4 deficit to take down the Houston Astros by kind of 9-8. Houston Astros have won the better bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues, but in this one, it let them down. And Garrett Cole also was shelled in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs. Now, the 13 punch-outs are nice, but you don't want to give up three home runs to go with it as he's giving up right around 1.7 home runs per nine innings as for the Texas Rangers. Whole lot of power provided in this one. Ronald Guzman, his eighth home run of the year. Joey Gallo is 21st. Danny Santana, his 10th. Tim Fedorowicz, his 4th. Sin Chu Chu, his 14th. For the Texas Rangers, Jesse Chavez did not deliver the start that they wanted. Five and a third innings. He gives up seven runs, six of which were earned. But that Texas Rangers bullpen all of a sudden looks better. Three and two-thirds innings. They wind up giving up one run as a collective. Brett Martin was the man that gave up that one run. That was a solo home run as the Astros also got their bats online. Jose Altuve hits his 11th home run of the year. Jordan Alvarez goes deep twice. His 8th and ninth dingers of the year. And Yuri Gariel is 15th. So the Houston Astros proving to be a very feast or famine team with the offense. But the bullpen giving up four runs. But the bullpen giving up five runs in two and two-thirds innings. Clearly an issue. Will Harris, Roberto Azuna, and Hector Rondon combine for two innings and give up those five runs, four of which were earned. So clearly things not going well for that Houston Astros bullpen. Things not going well for the bullpen of the Milwaukee Brewers. They lose to the San Francisco Giants by a count of 10-4. Giants, by the way, have now scored six or more runs in seven out of their last ten games, so this is a team that's heating up. And a guy that's really heating up is Evan Longoria. In the sixth inning, off of Corbin Burns, he gets his 13th home run of the year. Buster Posey winds up having the difference maker. A grand slam in the tenth inning off of Matt Albers, his fourth of the year. 
And then you also had Brandon Crawford at his sixth home run of the year. Tyler Austin is eighth, and Austin Slater is third. As for the San Francisco Giants, Sean Anderson certainly didn't look great in this one. He winds up giving up four runs in five innings. Reyes Moranta followed him up and gave up a run as well. Will Smith gives up a run, and Mark Melanson a run as well for a San Francisco Giants bullpen that entered sixth in bullpen ERA entering Friday. But for the Milwaukee Brewers, it was even worse because Chase Anderson, five innings pitch, gives up two runs, both of which were earned, including one of those home runs. Not a bad start there. Corbin Burns winds up going in inning. He gives up two runs. Now is an 8.22 ERA. Josh Hader winds up blowing a save, giving up two home runs in the eighth and ninth innings, and then Albers gives up that grand slam in the tenth, so that really hurt them. Good news for the Milwaukee Brewers. Keston Hira back up at the big leagues. He was able to hit a home run off of Mark Melanson, his eighth of the year. For the Arizona Diamondbacks, things have been going very well for them, and they are one of the best hitting teams on the road so far this year as they take down the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 4-2, and the Arizona Diamondbacks continue to get power on the road as Jake Lamb gets his second home run of the year, Ketel Marte is 21st, and Christian Walker is 18th. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, Daniel Ponce de Leon gave a very good start. He wound up coming in for Adam Wainwright, who got scratched. Six and two-thirds innings, he gives up one run, and then a Cardinals bullpen that is one of the better ones out there in the big leagues just yacked it up. John Gant gives up two runs while recording four outs, and then Andrew Miller gave up a home run without recording a single out himself. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Robbie Ray, a very good start. Six and a third innings, gives up just one run. That one run he gave up was a home run supplied by Matt Wieters, his sixth of the year, but then for the Arizona Diamondbacks, some solid relief pitching for a bullpen that has not necessarily been too great. Greg Holland was able to get a save without walking five straight batters. You also had Yoshi Arano being able to provide a couple outs, and then it was Yoan Lopez that gave up the lone run. He still got a 154 ERA, though. For the Kansas City Royals, they were able to help the Detroit Tigers get their offense online by giving up some runs, but their offense also got ignited as they take down the Tigers by a count of 8-5. to five. First start off the injured list for Spencer Turnbull, or I should say after getting injured, and it didn't go as planned. Three innings pitch, gives up five runs, four of which were earned, including a home run that was given up. From there, you had Gregory Soto give three innings of relief without giving up a run. Maybe he's found his niche as a long reliever, but then Blaine Hardy gives up two runs, including a home run while recording just two outs. And then you also had a run given up in an inning by Jose Cicerno as the Detroit Tigers did get a good sign in which they were able to get all five of those runs without going deep. And it was not a good start for Danny Duffy. He goes just two innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned. But Jorge Lopez, the second least most profitable pitcher when he starts, gave three innings of relief without giving up a run. Kevin McCarthy gives up a run out of the bullpen. But then you had Jake Diekman. Ian Kennedy and Jake Newberry all provide an inning of relief as well. And for the Kansas City Royals, Martin Maldonado goes deep for his sixth home run of the year. Chesler Cuthbert, his fifth. And Jorge Soler, his 24th as the Detroit Tigers just continue to scuffle. Coors Field overs have been hot all year long. Going into Friday, they had been cashing at a rate of about 62%, but a rate that had been cashing even more. Reds unders, and the unders wound up winning out in this one as the Colorado Rockies get a 3-2 win. For the Colorado Rockies, 
they were able to get some clutch home runs in the eighth inning out of Daniel Murphy and David Dahl for Dahl's 13th home run of the year. And for Murphy, his eighth as Dylan Hernandez was the man that gave up both of those home runs. He seems to be the least trustworthy arm out there for a Reds bullpen that is in the top eight in regards to ERA. He gave up both those runs and it squandered a good start from Sonny Gray. He goes seven innings giving up just one run and gets nine strikeouts in Coors. Can't ask for much more there. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they were able to get a home run. Eugenio Suarez goes deep for his 21st of the year, but you've got to give it to John Gray. Another good start for him for the Rockies. Seven innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned, and then Jario Diaz and Wade Davis both give an inning of relief, being able to shut the door there. And how about a good win for the Atlanta Braves? They take down the San Diego Padres by kind of 5-3, to three, and it's because they were able to jump on to Nielsen Lamette early. The Atlanta Braves get a 3-0 to zero lead thanks to a Josh Donaldson home run. His 19th home run of the year, that was a three-run shot off of Lamette, and then he would go deep in the eighth inning as well off of Matt Stram, who has been demoted from the starting lineup to a relief position. His 20th home run of the year when he hit the one off of Stram. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. hits his 22nd of the year. The Atlanta Braves had the most runs scored out there in the month of June, and they continue to be hot as Dallas Keuchel looks to have found it as well. Seven innings pitch, gives up just one run. That one run was a solo home run as going deep for the San Diego Padres. Manny Machado, he's heated up himself his 21st of the year, but he certainly did a better job than one Danielson Lamette. Why he was essentially a pickup against Dallas Keuchel, the world will never know, but he goes five innings, giving up four runs, including two of those home runs. Stram gives up that home run himself, but past that, the San Diego Padres provide four relief innings, giving up only one run. You can't be too mad about that. But for the Atlanta Braves, they've got one of the top bullpens out there in the big leagues. A little bit of a concern that Luke Jackson and Chad Sabatka both give up a run, but they were still able to get the job done and cover the run line. A team that certainly got the job done, the LA Angels. This is a team playing with a lot of emotion. You might want to watch that as they completely blank the Seattle Mariners. A no-hitter, 13-0, the LA Angels win. The Seattle Seahawks were shut out by the LA Rams in this one, to make a little bit of a joke, but Mike Leake was leaking oil. He goes and gets two outs in his start. He gives up seven runs, four of which were earned, including a home run. Going deep for the LA Angels was Mr. Justin Upton. His fourth of the year, that would come a little bit later. The home run in the first inning was provided by Mike Trout, his 29th. And then from there, things were just a hot mess for the Seattle Mariners as they committed three errors. Mike Festa winds up giving up two runs in an inning, only one of which was earned. And then you had Corey Guerin giving up a run in an inning of relief. And Parker Markle now is a a 15-43 ERA as he gave up two runs in one inning of relief as well. But for the LA Angels, a combined no-hitter for Taylor Cole and Felix Pena. For Pena, he wound up having one walk in this one, so the team wasn't able to get a perfect game, but a combined no-hitter for the LA Angels. Needless to say, very good sign for a team that's looking to get back into the wild-card hunt, and a team that is right in the thick of that wild-card hunt, the Oakland A's. They pound the Chicago White Sox by a count of 5-1. to one. Ivan Nova continues to be a guy that is hard to back. Six innings pitch. He leads the league in regards to hits allowed, and he gives up four runs in those six innings, including three dingers. Going deep for the Oakland A's. How about Drixon Profar, his 11th home run of the year? Mark Hanna, his 13th of the year. And Ramon Loreno, his 17th, as you actually did get some good bullpen pitching from the White Sox. I continue to say that their bullpen has been pretty good, as Josh Osich, Juan Menea, 
and Jose Ruiz combined for two innings, giving up one run. But for the Oakland A's, Mike Fires continues to be straight fire. Seventh and two-thirds innings, he does not give up a single run. Last time he gave up more than three earned runs in a start was April. Ever since that no-hitter, this guy has been straight fire. And the Oakland A's have been getting some good bullpen pitching themselves. Joaquin Soria gets two outs. He gives up one run out of the bullpen, but certainly understandable there as they were able to get the job done. So what did we all learn on this Friday out there in Major League Baseball? Well, it looks like a couple of these bullpens are becoming a little bit more trustworthy, like that of the Washington Nationals and the Chicago Cubs if... Craig Kimbrell can pitch the way that he has in past years. The Toronto Blue Jays might be cooling off with their bats, but Domingo Herman looks to be a starter that you can bet on once again. The Rays winning by two-plus runs looks like it is back and in full force and fading the Baltimore Orioles also looks profitable. The LA Dodgers are not quite the same team on the road as they are at home. 23-21 and 21 is currently their road record, and perhaps the Boston Red Sox are figuring out things at home. The Minnesota Twins, the most profitable team out there on the road so far this year, they continue to cash tickets. It looks like the wheels have fallen off of Jason Vargas for the New York Mets, but hey, the Miami Marlins continue to cash tickets as a underdog. In this case, they were actually a little bit of a favorite, but still, the Texas Rangers continue to be profitable at home. The San Francisco Giants look to have turned over a new leaf with their offense. Meanwhile, the Milwaukee Brewers relief pitching, not looking so good. The St. Louis Cardinals, who scored just 3.27 runs per game in the month of June, still do not have their offense going. Spencer Turnbull looks like he needs to work his way off the injured list, and the Kansas City Royals have their offense going. The Cincinnati Reds just continue to play unders. Perhaps the LA Angels are playing with more fire than we could ever have imagined, and perhaps it'll lead to a playoff chase. The Atlanta Braves are getting good starts out of Dallas Keuchel and continue to supply the boom. And Ivan Nova is giving some rough starts for the White Sox, but the Oakland A's, who have now won 18 out of their last 24 games, continue to be hot. So that is what we all learned from Friday out there in Major League Baseball. Now coming up next, we need to learn how to become a little bit of better betters and helping us do so. J.D. Sharp, the founder of SportsBetIQ.com, and that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest, another gentleman that works out here in the wonderful city of Las Vegas. And you can catch him Monday through Friday, 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And that is on 720 AM KDWN as he is one of the hosts of the Vegas take a very good show, and I believe they just had Rick Pitino on, so obviously a very good get there. This is also a man that is being a little bit revolutionary. He came up with something called SportsBetIQ.com, so I'm going to get into that in a minute. And the gentleman's name is J.D. Sharp. You can follow him on Twitter at I am J.D. Sharp. And J.D., how are you doing today? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. And let's talk a little bit about what you came up with, sportsbetiq.com. I know that you're a guy that you've been trying to be able to gauge your strengths and weaknesses a little bit more with regards to sports betting. And then I think both of us would agree the ultimate grinder sport, the one that you're putting the most effort into is baseball, just because baseball, I feel like out of all of them is the most long term. Now, obviously, sports betting in general is, but we know how much of a grind baseball is. Why did you come up with the website and how has it been able to help you out with your betting? So I was betting about, well, I, I do bet about, we'll say a little under seven figures a year. 
at a book that I won't name. And I, and I went to the book and I noticed that during football season, I had missed about, I think I was 0 and 12 on teasers. I'm talking 14, five team. And I, and I lost by one game. And I went to the book and I said, Hey, is there any way that you can tell me what type of, if, if you could break down my bets based on the type of bet? Like what's my record in NFL? What's my record in teasers? What's my record in parlays? What's my record in NBA, MLB, et cetera, et cetera. And all they said was, despite the fact that I'm a, that I'm a, a really large better, I mean, I have to assume that if I'm betting almost seven figures a year, I'm probably a top 25, top 30 better, at least in the top tier of betters, that all they could tell me was my handle on the plus side or the minus side. And I thought to myself, that is not very helpful. And so I said, I would like to know. And I think that if I would like to know a lot of other major high volume sports betters, not even major, but just, just consistent sports betters would like to be able to identify their strengths and their weaknesses. And that's kind of where the concept came from. And honestly, it's helped me a lot. And it's not just I'm, I'm shying away from the stuff that I'm not great at, but I'm also learning how to get better at it. You know, just, just and, and it's not that I'm betting less either. Like, for example, in baseball right now, this year, I'm 139, 102 and two, about 57% across the board. In games, in, in run line, I'm 58%. In money line, that's either the first five or full game, I'm 57%. And over under, I'm like 48%. And so the fact that I'm able to identify those things, it just really helps me a lot moving forward. And, and again, I, I created the software because I think other people are in the same boat I am. And, and, if, and if this major book that I was using is not willing to help me as a sports better, then no one else is. So I figured I had to help myself. Oh, absolutely. As we do have J.D. Sharp joining me right here on the podcast. And how it works essentially is you pretty much put in all the information from your bet slip and then you track it all from there. You're able to see what ones hit, what ones didn't, which ones push, and then you're able to get all the information from there, which I think is very helpful because I'm someone that I break down my record at the end of the day whenever I'm sports betting and everything like that, but I'm one of those people, I clump it all together. I don't really break it down by sides and totals and everything like that, and this is a site that actually helps people be able to do that, and like you were saying, be able to gauge how good or bad you're doing on teasers, how good you're doing on parlays, how good you're doing just on straight bets and everything like that. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And I would say the process, it, it, we have the option where you can actually take a screenshot of a digital slip or a, or a physical slip and you can upload that and the information kind of populates itself. It probably takes 35 to 45 seconds. But we also have a very quick way where you just go through, you list, and, and there's kind of a quick screen where you can where you can scroll, you go type or I mean sport type, game time. So if it's not like, like for me, I'm much better during the day in football season. I don't know why it is, but I just am. I'm, I'm better in the earlier games. And that's kind of the same thing for the MLB games. But you can also identify, you know, how are you during the primetime games? If you're betting a game at seven o'clock at night, you can see, you know, are you 60% or are you 40% whatever that number is. But you break that down by type, by team, by price, and then and everything will calculate your ROI for you at the end. So yeah, it really is a very quick way of entering the information. It's not overly daunting either. That's absolutely terrific. I think that that's very good that you're able to essentially upload your bet slip, take a screenshot, things like that. So that is obviously very helpful. And I know that there's various ways that you're able to track it as well. You have options for guys that they don't bet a lot. And you've got options for guys like me that they're betting every stinking thing on the board as well. And I know that you're talking about being able to track all of your bets and everything like that in regards to baseball, since you're hitting right around 57, 58 or so percent. What has really been going good or bad for you? Since I'm a high volume baseball player myself, I noticed that I've been doing a little bit better on totals so far this year. With regards to sides, I've been hitting less of them, but I've been hitting obviously more underdogs. I'm more of a plus money player myself. What's all been going well for you personally? 
You know, actually, first five, Moneyline first five has been going pretty well for me. I would say I'm probably just guessing I'm probably 62, 63% around there. I do a lot of future bets as well. I actually diversify myself. I'm talking AL Rookie of the Year. I've got Brandon Lowe, Eloy Jimenez, John Means at 200 to 1 for AL Rookie of the Year. I got Lance Lynn at 500 to 1 for AL Cy Young a couple of weeks back. I've got Trout for most home runs. So I really, I really diversify with every single category when it comes to futures as well. But I would say that as far as what's going the best for me, it has to be first five money line at this point. Oh, absolutely. As you get to avoid the bullpens and everything like that, as J.D. Sharp is joining me right here on the podcast. And I'm sure a team that you've been looking at much more in regards to the first five rather than the full game is the Washington Nationals as they're going to be playing the Philadelphia Phillies on Saturday with Patrick Corbin going up against Aaron Nola. Is this another one of those plays where you might look at perhaps the first five? Because with the Nationals, we know that they've got so many good pitchers. Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, who's going to be on the mound in this game, Max Scherzer. And then you got that bullpen that is an ERA right around six. Yeah, what, what's the total? Do you know the total yet? Is it out? Total actually opened up at eight and a half in a couple offshore books. Right now I'm seeing it at eight, juice a little bit to the over. I'd probably lean the under in that game. Noah's been pitching out of his mind lately. He's got, I mean, I took him 40 to one to win the NL Cy Young a couple weeks ago. I think he's eight and two with like a three, five ERA. He had, a, he's had a really, really strong June thus far and a decent July. I actually, I kind of like the Nationals to take down the NL if they can get some bullpen help. They're, they're really good top to bottom. Anthony Rendon is having an outstanding year, but so, I mean, there's like 15 guys that are hitting 300 with 22 bombs and 70 RBIs in the NL right now with Josh Bell obviously leading the way. But I think the Nationals at 15 or 12 to one have a really, really good shot to possibly take down the NL if they can bulk up that bullpen because it is horrifically bad. And I think you could say that for so many teams out there in the National League because going into the All-Star break, we saw like over half the NL between 41 and 47 wins. It's absolutely insane. And two of those teams actually that fall right in that neighborhood, Cincinnati Reds and the Colorado Rockies, can't remember the last time, other than those weird games in London, that we've seen a total the night before a game be at 14. But that's what we see with Tanner Rourke and Kyle Freeland going. This is a spot where I know that crazy things have been happening at Coors Field. I know that the Rockies have been playing a lot of overs there, but this just seems like too many runs. If you have a 7-6 to six game, you win your under bet. Yeah, exactly. And especially the, the Reds have like the fifth best bullpen in baseball. Rourke's been really good at home. He hasn't been bad on the road. Freeland's been just awful across the board. For me, I lean under, but honestly, you know, obviously, but it, it's just kind of a no play. I'm, I'm probably not going to touch it. I'm just going to watch and kind of see what happens with it. But yeah, I agree. 14 is, uh, it's very, very fishy concerning the game is still, it's on American soil. You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not in London with two of the probably best home run hitting ball clubs that we've seen in the last few decades. If not, I mean, the, this Yankees team right now, top to bottom is, I mean, it's pretty unreal. Oh, I totally agree with you, as we do have J.D. Sharp joining me right here on the podcast. And an indication of just how unreal the Yankees are, it's going to be Clay Richard versus J.A. Happ going at it on Saturday. Currently seeing a total of 11.5, and the Yankees at some places as high as minus $3. I think we both agree that if you're laying $3 in baseball, you're probably not going to be successful Short-term, long-term, or medium-term. But with that said, I certainly do think that this is going to be interesting because we have actually seen the Blue Jays kick it up on offense going into the All-Star break. 
12 of their last 15 games, they were able to score five plus runs. So they were doing a very good job in that regard. But this is certainly a spot where I have to look at either the Yankees row line or some sort of a Blue Jays play because I'm just not willing to lay $3. Yeah, this is one of those games I don't typically, I mean, yeah, I don't lay minus 300 often. But what I do sometimes is I will parlay a minus 300 and a minus, we'll say 160 and a minus 110 or a plus 130 or whatever it is. Sometimes I will do that. That's probably what I would do in this situation. Clay Richard has been, I mean, he's been almost Aaron Sanchez, Ben. He's, he's been pretty bad this year. Jay Happ's been really inconsistent. Worse ERA than Aaron Sanchez, actually. It, it, it's, is it worse? It is, it's worse. They're both in the sixes. <laughs> I mean, Aaron Sanchez, is, he's historically bad almost right now. I'm not even sure how he's, and, he's, and he has good stuff too, so it's weird. I have to go with the Bronx Bombers. Again, it's probably a no play for me. But yeah, it w- I would not be shocked at all if that 11.5 was easily eclipsed, possibly in the first six innings. Yeah, one thing that I've had to change with my handicapping, as we do have J.D. Sharp on the podcast, is I've been looking at these totals of 10+. plus, And what I've noticed is that before the All-Star break, I had on a couple of gentlemen from the Action Network. They've been doing a great job, Sean Zavrello and Josh Applebaum. These totals that have that are 10+, plus, which... Typically in past years, it's like, oh, you've got to hit the under just because it's going to take so many runs. These totals of 10 plus this year are hitting at a 56% clip. And that's something I've noticed about my handicapping is that I was taking a lot of unders with these before. And now that I've been taking a look back at some of these bets, I'm starting to realize, hey, I should be starting to look at the over just because the juice ball and everything like that really has changed baseball. Yeah, and, and not only that, but there's just not very many good bullpens right now. Oh, gosh. No, I you mean, really don't have too many. Yeah, there's probably five or six legitimately really good bullpens at, at this point. And the Yankees, they kind of, they're hoarding closers. They have like six or seven really good pitchers in their bullpen to take away from everybody else. So, yeah, I, I agree. Sometimes, I mean, yeah, three years ago, you would never see a 10. You know, if, if you did, it was, you know, just a, a very, very rare situation. But lately, yeah, you'll, you'll see three or four 11 and a halfs in the same day. On a, on a 12 game slate, which again, because of the juice balls or, you know, whatever, whatever we want to call it, obviously the game is changing towards that run scoring. It is really interesting. And what we've also noticed is that some of these players that have good peripheral numbers, they're just not coming through. And the textbook example of that is Chris Sale. According to Odd Shark, if you put a hundred dollars down on every one of his games so far this year, least profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. If you've been fading him, you've been making a whole lot of money, but he's going up against an L.A. Dodgers team that I think we'd both agree. Not quite the same on the road as they are at home. They certainly hit the skids going into the All-Star break. Right now we're seeing Chris Sale is right around a minus 170 favorite again, but this actually does look like a good spot because he's going up against Ross Stripling, a guy that ever since he got back into the rotation has not been himself. Last year as a starter was actually an All-Star. This year he was decent out of the bullpen. Ever since becoming a starter once again, though, he just hasn't been able to make the transition. You know, this game has has Chris Sale going seven or eight, having a really good outing all over it to me. I took the Red Sox under 94 and a half team total wins this year, and I feel pretty good about that so far. But the thing with Sale is it seems like his velocity is down a little bit. Um, his ball isn't breaking as much. But minus 170 on the road against Stripling, I think that Red Sox run line is actually a pretty good play here. Another guy, and I want to ask you a question here. Who do you think will have a better second half of the season of the underachievers in the AL, Blake Snell or Chris Sale? I would have to go with Chris Sale just because with Blake Snell, he's still been getting swings and misses and everything like that. But it seems like Chris Sale has better command in general. I, I agree. He has better control. When, 
Oh, yeah. When you go back to that start that Blake Snell had against the New York Yankees in which he got one out and he was shelved for six runs, he was just walking <laughs> guys that. left and right. Because with Chris Sale, the velocity is down a little bit, and he's walking more guys than normal. But with Blake Snell, it just seems a little bit more demonstrative. And you have a bigger track record with Chris Sale as well, rather than Blake Snell. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. And also, you know, you have to consider the fact that the I don't think Austin Meadows is going to have a, a plus 300 second half of the season. I think, I think they're playing above. Are they going to call up Wander Franco, by the way, the Rays this year or not? Because I think that he's in just a little bit too low of a level. He might be a September call-up, but it's one of those things that if he is, he's only going to be able to get a couple at-bats. I would love to see Wander Franco be able to get a shot because we're actually going to see one of their good young players, Brendan McKay, go at it on Saturday against the Baltimore Orioles. This is a game that's currently off the board because this was, I believe, a part of a doubleheader or something like that because you've got Tampa Bay also going with Charlie Morton in game two of that doubleheader, but I think it's really interesting what the Rays have done. They've obviously been successful, but I do think that with the Rays winning on the run line, essentially 45 out of their first 52 games, 45 of those wins by two-plus runs, that's something I've got to think is going to dry up. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's not going to continue. No way. It's one of the most insane things I've ever seen, by the way. I've been betting that Rays run line like crazy. I've been making quite a bit of money off of it, but I just can't see that continuing. And I will say, though, if it is going to stop, I don't think it's going to come against the Baltimore Orioles. I will also throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, man, as we do have J.D. Sharp joining me right here on the podcast. And, J.D., is there anything else that's really standing out to you on Saturday slate? Because you've got a couple interesting games, and you've got a lot of games that are currently off the board. It looks like the Padres have yet to announce a starter as we're doing this. The Baltimore Orioles have won those two games in the doubleheader have yet to. The Seattle Mariners are the Seattle Mariners. They have no idea what they're doing. There's just a lot of games there off the board. But you know, I, uh, I I I I take it on a day by day basis. I haven't looked at tomorrow yet. I'm still kind of looking at today. I'm probably going to take. Has the Indians game started yet? Indians game is going to be starting literally as we're doing this podcast. First pitch is about a couple minutes away. Okay, well, I, I kind of like Clevenger first five and full game in this game over Gibson. Again, I, I do it day by day. I have not looked at it tomorrow. So what you're telling me right now, I'm kind of taking it in and just making responses off the cuff to be, to be completely sincere with you. Oh, I love it. You, we always like to keep it real here on MLB overtime betting. And that is the best way to go about it. And you also keep it real on your show as well. You do great work Monday through Friday, 720 out there in Las Vegas. You're able to listen to. Your show, The Vegas Take, like I said, sportsiq.com. You're doing terrific work there. Just let the people get a little bit more of you. Okay, so my radio show is called The Vegas Take. It's 6 to 8, Monday through Friday on 101.5 FM, 720 AM, KDWN. Uh, It covers sports, politics, gambling, entertainment. You mentioned Rick Bettina. We did have Rick Bettina last night as a guest. The interview went outstanding. We have Michael Avenatti on the show every single Wednesday. It's really eclectic as far as the delivery goes. A lot of different guests. We, we, we cover spreads here and there. It's on a 50,000-watt signal, so it can be heard on most of the West Coast, all of Nevada, most of Utah, most of Arizona, most of Southern California. That's called The Vegas Take. My personal Twitter is I'm JD Sharp. The Vegas Take Twitter is The Vegas Take. We also have TVTRadio.com, The Vegas Take Facebook, Vegas Take Radio, Instagram and the Vegas Take YouTube, where we, as well as SoundCloud, where we update all of our shows and all of our content. And then with sportsbetiq.com, really, I just, 
I wanted to give the average better, even well, we'll say above average better. And I, I we haven't talked pricing yet, but for sports bet IQ, the first thirty bets are always free, and then after that, it's five ninety nine a month for fifty bets, and it's fourteen ninety nine a month for unlimited bets. That's placing or that that's listing and documenting and and organizing unlimited bets on our site. But really, I did it because there's nothing really helping the sports better. The book isn't helping you. I mean, if, if I'm betting almost a million dollars a year, which I am, and the book won't even tell me what I'm best at and what I'm against at, you know, will, will they tell somebody who's betting less? Most likely not. And so I just wanted to give the better the opportunity to see what they're best at, what they're worst at, and to handicap themselves. That That's really the, the point of Sports Bet IQ. And I really appreciate the, this opportunity of coming on this podcast, Greg. We've had some technical difficulties, but, uh, you know, <laughs> such is that. that. That's just the way it is sometimes, my friend. Oh, absolutely. The people at home will never know what it took behind the scenes to be able to get everything (laughs) all cobbled together. But it was a Herculean feat and a big thanks to J.D. Sharp for bearing with me and being right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time coming up next. I do give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey. I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And a big thanks to J.D. Sharp of SportsBetIQ.com and out there with 720KDWN for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Izuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board, and we do so in something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Here is the normal disclaimer. Some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, everything like that. In some of these cases, we are waiting on some lineup changes. We are waiting on line moves, things like that. And the set numbers I get will be noted on my Twitter feed at JuniorNurse41. And I will keep you guys abreast of what numbers I have locked in and what numbers I am waiting on as I go through these games. As per usual, we're going to be starting in Las Vegas rotation order. I have no idea why we're not starting off with a 1 in the final number of this, but we start off with 953, 954 on the betting rotation as it is the Pittsburgh Pirates on the road facing off against the Chicago Cubs. John Lester goes for the Cubs, Jordan Lyles for the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you like the Buccos, going to be getting anywhere between plus 165 and plus 168. If you want to lay with the Cubs, that's anywhere between minus 180 and minus 185. Certainly both these teams got very good starts yesterday, so the bullpen got to be a little bit refreshed here. But I do like the Pittsburgh Pirates in this spot. Jordan Lyles has been doing a pretty good job of pitching. 5-5 five five record, 436 ERA, 74 and a third innings. He's given up 11 home runs. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been awful. And we feel like John Lester has been very up and down. He's obviously a little bit better at home than he is on the road. But what you see in June is the fact that 
in four out of his first five starts of the month. He wound up giving up at least three runs, and two of those starts were at home. So he has been a little bit vulnerable at Wrigley Field so far this year. And I do like what the Pittsburgh Pirates are trotting out there with the lineup, and it's all headlined by Josh Bell. 27 home runs, 298 average. He is hitting a 298. With the Pittsburgh Pirates, you've got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of being able to get on base. Jacob Sellings, Kevin Newman, and Brian Reynolds are all hitting above a 320. And in some cases, hitting as high as a 340. Adam Frazier sitting at 280. Sterling Marte nearly a 280 himself. You've got Elias Diaz, Corey Dickerson, both hitting in the realm of a 275. Melky Cabrera sitting above 300. Colin Moran, a 273. You've just got a bunch of guys that do a great job of being able to supply some on-base percentage. They don't necessarily have the guys that are matching home runs other than Bell, but they do a great job of just being able to move the line. Meanwhile, with the Chicago Cubs, you've got a little bit of the opposite. Now, a lot of these guys are hitting for a great average, but Kyle Schwarber only going to get 224 himself, but you do have to give him credit. He has went deep 18 times so far this year. Then you got Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant, and Anthony Rizzo. All guys that have right between 17 and 22 home runs. Baez has 22 home runs. The rest of the guys have right around 18 to 19-ish. And Chris Bryant has done a great job of getting on base, 297 batting average, on base percentage above 400. Anthony Rizzo is hitting a 273 on base percentage just below 400. Even Victor Carantini, when he's behind the dish, is hitting a 290. Jason Hayward's hitting a 270. You have to give it to Albert Amora Jr. and David Bodie. Both these guys hitting right around a 250. They've been very solid. And then Addison Russell's hitting a 240. Needs to pick it up a little bit, but all in all, you've got a solid lineup. But I do think that the Pittsburgh Pirates, with guys like Felipe Vaz, Vasquez and Francisco Lariano are going to be able to get the job done in the bullpen. I think that Jordan Lyles delivers a good start here. And John Lester, just a guy that has been very hit or miss. And he's given up 15 home runs and 94 and a third inning so far this year. And I do think that this is a good spot for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So for that reason, we are going to be going with the Pittsburgh Pirates with the plus price. With regards to the total, currently there is not one up if there is a lot of wind blowing out. I'm probably going to be looking at an over if the wind's blowing in. Probably going to be looking at an under. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1 for set plays there. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting rotation. It is the New York Mets hitting the road to face off against the Miami Marlins. Zach Allen goes for the fish. Noah Thor Syndergaard for the Mets. Total on this game is 7.5 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Mets laying anywhere between minus 148 and minus 155. Meanwhile, the plus price on the fish, anywhere between plus 138 and plus 140. I know that Syndergaard certainly has not been great so far this year, but this is a spot where I do think that the New York Mets offense is going to carry him, and I'm going to be looking at the New York Mets on the run line. Zach Gallen has made... Two starts so far in his career. It's been a little bit up and down. 450 ERA. I was absolutely tremendous at the AAA level. ERA below two. So he certainly was great there. And Noah Syndergaard certainly is at his ups and downs this year, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. ERA hovering right around a 4.68. He's got about a strikeout per nine innings. But you take a look at his game log. It's been all over the place. Ever since he started the month of June, he's given up fewer than three earned runs in just one of his starts, though most of them have been approximately three, even in the month of May. He started out the month with that complete game shutout against the Cincinnati Reds, and he winds up getting rocked by the Detroit Tigers. I mean, it's really been a little bit hit or miss, and we all know about the New York Mets bullpen, but I do think that the break 
did them a little bit of good, getting them a little bit of rest. And I do think that this is a spot where the Mets can outslug the Miami Marlins, one of the worst teams out there in baseball with regards to runs per game. I will say for the Marlins, they are getting some guys that are proving to be able to get on base. Garrett Cooper, Miguel Rojas, and Errol Ramirez are all hitting above a 285 for this team. Now, the famine bats are very real with them. JT Riddle, Curtis Granderson, Austin Dean, Rosell Herrera, all guys that are hitting below a 200. You also have Brett Anderson, who's currently hitting a 250. Sarlon Castro is hitting a 244, but just a 272 on base percentage. I like Jorge Alfaro. He's hitting nearly a 280, but it's just not a lot compared to what the Mets were able to provide. Jeff McNeil hitting nearly a 350 at the top lineup. Pete Alonso, Wilson Ramos both hitting between a 274 and a 280. And in the case of Pete Alonso, 30 home runs so far this year. J.D. Davis is hitting nearly a 280 himself. You've also seen a couple guys struggle with the bat. Michael Conforto is only hitting a 243, though I will say the power is there for him, unlike Robinson Cano, who has a similar average for Conforto, 16 home runs. Amit Rosario is hitting nearly a 260, and the Todd father, Todd Frazier, hitting a 255. He's been picking up at his power. You got to think that Seth Lugo is probably going to see an ending or two in relief in this spot. And with the Miami Marlins, this is a team that also has a little bit of a shaky bullpen. I know that guys like Austin Bryce, Sergio Roman company have been better the past month, but this is a spot where I do think that both these teams are going to be able to get to the stars, and I think that both these teams are going to get into the bullpens, and I think that the Mets' offense is going to carry the day. So for that reason, we are going with the Mets on the run line and the over. Currently with the Mets' run line, seeing that anywhere between plus 110 and plus 115, would like to get a little bit of value there. And currently in Wayne Simo to see if I can get a little bit less juice on this over. 9.57, 9.58 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals hit the road to face off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernola goes for the Phillies. Patrick Corbin for the Washington Nationals. Your total on this game is 8. The over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Nats, you're going to be getting a little bit of a plus price here. Anywhere between even a plus 110 if you want to lay it with the Phillies. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. We are seeing this team coming in on the Philadelphia Phillies, and I'm not quite sure why. This is a team that has been struggling with their bats. They average right around four runs per game in the month of June. They do still have a couple guys that are able to do a decent job of setting the table. Scott Kingery at the top of the lineup, hitting nearly a 290. You do have to like the fact that Reese Hoskins has went deep 20 times so far this year. He's hitting just above a 260. Bryce Harper has his average offering right around that 260 range as well, but he currently leads the league in strikeouts. Cesar Hernandez has done a quality job hitting a 285, and Mikel Franco, though the batting average is a 235, he's been doing a little bit of a better job of hitting as well. You got JT Rimuto hitting a 270, Gene Segura a 275, and then Jay Bruce has been much better as a hitter with Philadelphia Phillies and has a combined 22 home runs, but it just doesn't stack up with what the Washington Nationals are trying out there. Trey Turner, Adam Eaton, both hitting a 284, Juan Soto, and Anthony Rendon, both have an on-base percentage nearing 400. Ryan Zimmerman has his average up to a 245 after he spent most of the year on the injured list. You do have a couple guys that are a bit famous with the bat. Michael A. Taylor, Brian Dozier, and Jan Gomes all laying below a 235, but even Kurt Suzuki now hitting a 270. And with the Washington Nationals, their bullpen still stinks, but the Philadelphia Phillies also have a bottom tier bullpen in regards to ERA as well. And we, what we saw with the Nationals in the month of June is that their bullpen ERA was actually towards the league average, so it has been improving. And I do think that Patrick Corbin going to be able to give a much better start here than Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola has been picking up his play, but Patrick Corbin has as well. He had a really rough end to the month of May and early June, but all in all for the year, he has a 7-5 record, 
3.34 ERA. He has been an innings eater, and he really started off the month of July very well. He has won seven innings in each of his last four starts, giving up a combined two runs in those starts. So that means that over the course of his last 28 innings, he's given up two runs. Meanwhile, with Mr. Enola, he has given up right around 1.25 home runs per nine innings, 8-2 record, but the 3.74 ERA would not indicate that. He has been doing a good job of getting swings and misses, and his first two starts in the month of July, also good. He's won 14 and two-thirds innings, giving up just one run there, but we saw in the month of June he had his first three starts all him give up three-plus runs in those before he really got things going in the month of July. And I do think that Nola's going to be able to still do a decent job here, but I think that Patrick Orban just does a little bit better. This is a spot where I do look at the Washington Nationals being able to win a little bit of a lower-scoring game with both these pitchers being able to go deep in the game. So for that reason, going to be all aboard the Washington Nationals and the under. With regards to the Nationals, I am in wait-and-see mode on that price, but I have already locked in the under on this game. We move on to 959-960 on the betting rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals play O.C. Arizona Diamondbacks. Merrill Kelly goes for the D-backs. St. Louis trots out there Dakota Hudson. Your total on this game is between 8.5 and, and 9. I'll give you the 9 first. Under on 9 is minus 125. The over is plus 105. With the 8.5, over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're taking a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, you're going to be laying between minus 120 and minus 127, plus price with the D-backs. Anywhere between plus 110 and plus 117. I really like what I've seen out of Merrill Kelly so far this year. And Dakota Hudson is starting to grow on me a little bit. I know they had that blow-up outing in which he didn't make it out of the second inning against the San Diego Padres. But of the seven runs they gave up, I believe only one of them were earned. He clearly got the short end of the stick there. But Merrill Kelly, ever since the start of June, has been absolutely terrific. For the year, he's got a 7-8 record with a 4.03 ERA. But things really turned around for him ever since summer started. In the month of June, he wound up having one start in which he gave up more than three earned runs. That was against the Colorado Rockies. He started out the month by going seven-plus innings in all three of his starts and giving up zero one runs in each of them. He's come back to earth a little bit. In each of his last three starts, he's given up two or three earned runs. And Dakota Hudson, by far the best ground ball pitcher out there in the big leagues, per every fly ball he gets, he gets about six ground balls. But we have seen him get taken deep a couple times, 7-4 record, 92 in a third innings. He's given up 13 home runs. And I just like the Arizona Diamondbacks line up a little bit better. Eduardo Escobar and Cattell Marte have done a nice job of being able to set the table for this team. With Marte, he's hitting above 320 home runs. Escobar, 63 RBI, 18 home runs, hitting nearly 295. Draw Dyson at the top of the lineup, one of the best base stealers out there in baseball. Christian Walker and Adam Jones, both hitting just above a 260. And in the case of Christian Walker, he has belted out 17 home runs. Jake Lamb, ever since coming off the injured list, has looked a little bit better. Nick Amadis hitting a 260. And then Carson Kelly, more around a 275. Meanwhile, with the same those Cardinals, you just don't have a lot of guys hitting for average right now. Taylor Edmond and Jose Martinez are both hitting above a 280, and Yario Munoz, whenever he's in there, has provided something, but Yadier Molina and Marcel Ozuna are both out of the fold. That means that you need to rely upon Ball Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung for a little bit more. Goldschmidt is only hitting right around a 258, and DeYoung has 13 home runs to go with his 258 average as well. Matt Carpenter is hitting below a 220. Dexter Fowler is hitting nearly a 250, and Harrison Bader just above the Mendoza line as well. I will say this for the St. Louis Cardinals. One of the best bullpens out there in baseball, and we know with the Arizona Diamondbacks, guys like Greg Holland and 
Man and Dreesen company have not necessarily been getting the job done, but I do think that Merrill Kelly delivers a good start, and I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to be able to get to Dakota Hudson. So I do think that the Diamondbacks are going to pull out a little bit of a lower-scoring game, so we're going to be riding the Diamondbacks and the under. Justin Wayne C mode on both these numbers to be able to try to get a little bit of a better number on the total, and I'm noticing that a little bit of seam is coming in on the Cardinals. 961-962 on the batting rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers play OC San Francisco Giants. Madison Baumgartner goes for the Giants. Zach Davies for the Brewers. Your total on this game is anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9. On the 8.5, the over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 9, the under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. If you're looking at the Giants, that is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 115. If you'd like to lay it with the Brew Crew, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 125. You do have to like the fact that Madison Bumgarner has certainly looked pretty good recently for the San Francisco Giants. Giants have won four out of their last five starts and entering into the All-Star break, the Giants had scored six runs or more in six out of their last nine games. Meanwhile, for Zach Davies, he's given up three runs or more in four out of his last six starts, though I will say for the year, he's been pretty solid. 72 record, 307 ERA, 96 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 11 home runs, and Baumgartner has had an issue giving up the long ball. 111 and two-thirds innings, he's given up 17 home runs, but with the Milwaukee Brewers, this is actually one of the better under teams out there in baseball, and it is because they are so centered around Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich is a bad, bad man. 31 home runs entering into Friday's action. 330 average. He's also one of the top base dealers out there in baseball. Gotta like what Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal bring to the table as well. Both these men inning between a 255 and a 265. In the case of Moustakis, 25 home runs. Yasmani Grandal, 19. But Lorenzo Cain, not hitting the way that he did last year. He's hitting below a 250. Kessin and Eric Thames both hitting a 257. Orlando Garcia, a 240. And Ryan Braun more in the realm of a 270. And for the San Francisco Giants, you have to like that. The Kung Fu Panda, Pablo Sandoval, has a double-digit amount of home runs and is hitting 280. Got a lot of guys that are letting the team down with the bat a little bit. You've got a bunch of guys hitting below a 250. That includes Brandon Belt, Evan Longoria, Kevin Pillar, Brandon Crawford, Joe Panic. The list goes on and on, but in the case of Belt, he's got a double-digit amount of home runs. Evan Longoria really picked things up before heading into the All-Star break, and Austin Dickerson has come out of left field and has provided something, hitting nearly a 300 for this team. Austin Slater in the outfield has been doing some good things as well with the Milwaukee Brewers. Even though they have Josh Hader out there in the bullpen, they still rank 13th in regards to bullpen ERA. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Giants, you've got guys like Mike Melanson, You've got guys like Mark Melanson, Sam Dyson, Tony Watson, and they combine for the sixth best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. And I just think that Bumgarner going to be able to give a little bit more length than Davies. So for that reason, we are going to be riding with the plus price of the San Francisco Giants and this total under. With the Giants, I'm currently Wayne Seymour, seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the Brewers, and this line has been pretty stagnant with regards to the under, so I'm looking to see if I'm going to be able to get a little bit of better juice there. We move on to 963-964 on the bank rotation. The Colorado Rockies play host to the Cincinnati Reds. Tanner Roark goes for the Reds. Kyle Friedland for the Rockies. Your total on this game is 14. The over is just between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Reds, you're going to be getting anywhere between plus 118 and plus 125. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Rockies, that is anywhere between minus 128 and minus 135. We mentioned it in the last segment with our good buddy J.D. Sharp. The Reds have been the best team to the under in all of baseball. Over 62% of their games are hitting in regards to the under. Dana Roark has been much better this year than he was last year. 5-6 record, 351 ERA. He's looked a little bit shaky lately, but he's giving up less than a home run per nine innings. And Kyle Freeland, 
He hasn't made a start in a while. I think his last start came about two months ago, and he's been awful. 59 and a third innings. He's given up 16 home runs, 25 walks, 7.13 ERA. It just has not went well for him. The good news is, if he gets completely exploded upon in this start, though, because Kyle Freeland, keep in mind, last year, best first five pitcher out there in the big leagues was dominant at Coors. Even if he gets blown up, the Colorado Rockies, with guys like Scott Oberg, Cesar Estevez and company, actually do have a decent bullpen. And I will say, for the Cincinnati Reds, as a collective, they enter into this game inning just at 235. Now, you do have some guys hitting some home runs. You've got Derek Diedrich, who has 18 home runs. Problem is, his average is hovering right around a 220, and he had just one home run since the month of June, so obviously that's not going well. Got a bunch of guys hitting right around a 250 to a 260. Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, Yasiel Puig all in that neighborhood, and Nick Senzel, a 263 himself. In the case of Suarez and Yasiel Puig, both have 20 home runs apiece. Joey Votto, it's up to his average to a 268. Kirk Casale, seen his average to a 237. Jose Peraza and Tucker Barnard, both hitting below a 225. Meanwhile, for the Colorado Rockies, top of the lineup for this team is very good. Nolan Arenado, David Dahl, Charlie Blackman, all hitting above a 300. In the case of Arenado, Charlie Blackman, both these guys hitting 20 home runs. Trevor Story, 19 dingers himself. Ian Desmond and Daniel Murphy, both hitting a 274. Tony Walters, a 285. So you've got a lot of firepower there. But with the Cincinnati Reds, one of the top bullpens out there in the big leagues. I like the way that Dan O'Rourke has been throwing. So for that reason, we are going to be riding with this total under. And we're going to be taking the Cincinnati Reds. Noticing steam coming in on the over and the Red and the Rockies, which is the exact opposite of what I have. So I'm in Wayne Simo to try to maximize my value there. We move on to 965, 966 on the bagging rotation. The Atlanta Braves hit the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Julio Tehran goes for the Atlanta Braves. Meanwhile, for the San Diego Padres, literally just announced it will be Joey Lucchese. Because this lineup was not announced until Friday evening, this game is currently off the board. And with that said, I'm going to be looking at the Atlanta Braves in this spot. I know that Mr. Tehran has a 5-6 and six record, but if you take a look at what he's done ever since the beginning of May, he's been pretty darn spectacular. He's had two starts in which he's given up more than two earned runs. Now, both of these starts were awful. Against the Mets and the Chicago Cubs in late June, he wound up going a combined eight innings in those two starts, giving up 13 earned runs. But that said, he's been pretty darn good. And with the Atlanta Braves, their offense has been pretty darn good. As in the month of June, they led all baseball with regards to runs scored. And they've been continuing their offense because you've got a guy in Ronald Acuna Jr. that does a good job of setting the table. 292 batting average, 21 home runs, 13 stolen bases. And then Freddie Freeman follows that up. He's hitting above a 323 home run, 68 RBI. Dansby Swanson and Josh Johnson have a combined 35 home runs. Johnson is hitting a 250. Dansby Swanson, a 270. Austin Riley has seen his batting average dip to a 257, but still 16 home runs for 187 at bats. Pretty darn good. Trey Flowers and Brian McCann have both of them highly productive at the catcher spot. Ozzy Albies has a 290 average, 14 home runs for him, and Nick Markakis is hitting at 285. Meanwhile, with the Padres, you've got a lot of power between Hunter Renfro and Femio Reyes. Both these guys hitting just above a 250, combined 52 home runs between them. Manny Machado really picked up his play going into the All-Star break. He's now got 20 home runs. He's hitting just above a 265. Eric Cosmer's hitting a 287, 62 RBI, 13 home runs. Fernando Tatis Jr. does a little bit of everything. 14 home runs, 327 average. 13 stolen bases. He's essentially a poor man's Ronald Acuna Jr., in my opinion. But then you've got a couple famine bats with this team as well. Francisco Mejia, Ian Kinsler, 
Josh Naylor, Will Myers, all hitting below a 225, and then Manuel Margot's hitting a 242, but you got to like that Greg Garcia has done a decent job of getting on base. And with Joey Lucchese, he's done a good job of being able to cut down on the long ball. He's giving up right around one home run per nine innings, and in his last start, he was able to take down the L.A. Dodgers. He's been a little bit up and down. He's given up four runs or more in two starts ever since the beginning of June, but he seems to be stabilizing himself. He's got an ERA just below four, but one thing that you have to be concerned about is with the San Diego Padres. Aside from Kirby Yates, the bullpen is not very good. Guys like Trey Wintgenter have been okay, but then you get into the guys like your Phil Mains and your Robert Stocks are just not doing the job, and the Atlanta Braves actually top five bullpen in regards to ERA. Early leans in this one are to the Atlanta Braves and an under, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquare one for set plays, as we're going to be saying that a lot in the next few minutes as we move on to a game that's actually on the board, 967-968 on the bank rotation. It is the New York Yankees, and they are going to be playing host to the Toronto Blue Jays. Clayton Richard goes for the Toronto Blue Jays, J-Hap for the New York Yankees. Drawing this game is 11.5, over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Yankees, well, there's a lot of juice to be paid. Anywhere between minus 290 and minus 340. Meanwhile, your plus price with the Blue Jays, anywhere between plus 250 and plus 260. As much as I want to be able to take a plus price here, and Clayton Richard actually has cash a plus money ticket or two so far this year, I'm just not able to do it. You take a look at Clayton Richard. He just really hasn't had too many quality starts so far this year. I think that when he gave up two runs against the Kansas City Royals, that was really his only one. One in five record, 623 ERA, 43 and a third innings. He's given up nine home runs, and he's given up right around five walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, J.F., not as good as his 7-4 record would indicate, 502 ERA. I will say this, though, ever since the beginning of the month of June, in three out of his five starts, he's given up two earned runs or fewer. Now the outliers are, he gave up eight runs in four innings against the Houston Astros and four runs in five innings against the Chicago White Sox. And he's given up two home runs per nine innings, 22 walks in 89 and two-thirds innings, not necessarily bad, but we do have a Toronto Blue Jays team that entering into the All-Star break had scored five or more runs in 12 out of their last 15 games with Lords Goriel really headlining at 303 average, 16 home runs, 37 RBI. Then you've got just a whole boatload of guys for the Toronto Blue Jays that have between 14 and 16 home runs. Rowdy Telez, Freddie Galvis, Randall Gritchick, and Justin Spoke all in that neighborhood. Problem is, other than Freddie Galvis, all these guys are hitting below a 230 as Freddie Galvis hitting more in the realm of a 270. Kevon is only hitting a 230. Vlad Guerrero Jr., you expect a little bit more pop out of him. He's got less than 10 home runs. He's hitting just below a 250. Danny Jansen, Brandon Drury, Teoscar Hernandez, all these guys are also hitting below a 220, though I will say Eric Sogard hitting nearly a 300 has been nice. And for the New York Yankees, you now have Aaron Judge back in the fold along with D.D. Gregorius. Both these guys hitting between a 270 and a 275. D.J. LeMayu, over 60 RBI, 333 average for him. Gio Rochelle is hitting above a 300. Brett Gardner after a really rough start to the year along with Aaron Eggs have both picked up their averages. Aaron Eggs now hitting more in the realm of a 235. Brett Gardner just below a 250. Glaber Torres has been very good for this team. He's got 20 home runs, 295 average. Edwin Encarnacion only hitting a 220, but he's got 59 RBI on the year, and he's doing a good job of drawing his walks for the 30 on base percentage, and the New York Yankees, let's face it, they just have a much better bullpen. Guys like Adam Onofino, Tommy Cleanly, Zach Britton, Aroldis Chapman are very good, and I will say that guys like David Phelps and company have been doing a decent job for the Toronto Blue Jays, but this is just a spot where I think that Clayton Richard gets a 
exploded upon. I don't think he delivers a lot of length. I think it's going to be an easy Yankees win. So I'm going to be looking at the Yankees on the run line and the total over. Looking to see if I'm able to play, pay a little bit less juice on the over. And with the run line of the Yankees, seeing that at minus 160 across the board, obviously would like to be able to get a little bit of a discount there. 969, 970 on the batting rotation. It is going to be the Oakland A's and they're playing host the Chicago White Sox. For the A's, Chris Bassett is going to be taking the mound. And for the Chicago White Sox, good old to be determined, which means that this game is presently off the board. Now, I have scoured Twitter, and the best guess that I can give you for a White Sox starter is Dylan Covey, which means that I would be all aboard the Oakland A's run line and this total over in this case. I know that this is a game that's being played in the afternoon, so that means that the Marine layer is not going to be out. Bassett's been giving up some home runs himself, 77 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 11 dingers, but you've got a guy in Covey that is ERA above five. He's given up nearly two home runs per nine innings. He has not been good in that regard. He has not been giving great length. Chris Bassett, 429 ERA, certainly has had his walks issues, but I do think that this is a game that would feature a whole lot of offense and a team that has been providing a whole lot of offense the Oakland A's, and it's led by Matt Chapman. 265 average. He has went deep 21 times so far this year. Marcus Simeon has really gotten online as well. He's hitting just above a 270. He's went deep 14 times. And you've got a lot of guys on this team that has went deep about 14 to 16 times. I know that you've got a couple more home runs out of Matt Olson, and he's really been seeing an uptick in his average, 250 average. 19 home runs. He's getting a home run about every 12 at-bats. Chris Davis, though, 236 average, 16 home runs for him. Ramon Loreno, 265 average, 16 home runs. Jerickson Profar, only a 212 batting average, but he's went deep 10 times. He seems to be rounding in form. Jeff Feigley's hitting a 250. Robbie Grossman, a 263. Mark Canna, a 235. Then you take a look at the Chicago White Sox. Got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of going deep as well. Yohan Mankata and Eloy Jimenez both have 16 home runs. And in the case of Mankata, a 308 batting average. Luis Garcia hitting just below a 300 himself. John Jay's hitting a 286. Jose Abreu, 278 average, 66 RBI, 21 home runs. And then you got to like that Yomer Sanchez is up to his average to a 250. Ryan Cordell's leaving a little bit something to be desired with a 231 and Charlie Tilson has been a little bit shaky. I will say this for the White Sox, their bullpen with guys like Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer and company have been pretty good, but when you need to use a guy like Calvin Herrera, it's not one well in the Oakland A's. Right now, looking like a team with one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. Guys like Blake Tryon, Lou Trevino look like they did last year. So early leans on this play. So early leans on this game, the Oakland A's and the over. But as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at UnitArsCourty1. And now we move on to a pair of games that is off the board as this is a doubleheader. 971-972 on the batting rotation and 983-984 on the batting rotation. In both games, it is the Tampa Bay Rays on the road against the Baltimore Orioles. Now, 971-972 is actually game two. This is a game with a 7.05 Eastern 4.05 p.m. Pacific start time. It is going to be Charlie Morton against Jonathan Means. Meanwhile, 983-984 is actually the early game. This one has a first pitch of 105 p.m. Pacific, and that's going to be Brandon McKay against Aaron Brooks. Both these games are presently off the board. I can tell you right now, though, the Baltimore Orioles have completely spent their bullpen because they wound up having to get eight innings out of it yesterday after Dylan Bundy just pooped all over himself. He wound up giving up seven runs in the first inning, and that led to the long relievers of the Baltimore Orioles that they were probably planning to use in this one, having to trot out there. And Aaron Brooks, you may recall the name, no, not the former quarterback, 
or the former basketball player, but rather a gentleman that began his season with the Oakland A's. As a starter, he last started about early May, and he had an ERA right around six as a starter. He was giving up quite a few walks. Things did not go well for him in general. Meanwhile, Mr. McKay, at the AAA level, he had about a two ERA. In his first two starts, he looked pretty Pretty good, too. 11 innings pitch. He wound up giving up three runs, one home run in those starts. He's done a very good job for the Tampa Bay Rays. And then when you take a look at game two, I do feel like you've got a very good pitching matchup. I could see myself taking this total under. Jonathan Means is starting to go seven innings in his starts. All in all for the year, 7-4 record, 250 ERA, 82-2 and thirds innings. He's given up nine home runs. And the last time he faced off against the Tampa Bay Rays, he was able to deliver a sterling start. Seven innings pitch, two earned runs, wound up catching a good plus money ticket. And this is a guy that ever since the beginning of May has not given up more than three earned runs in a single start. So you got like that. And Charlie Morton has lost two out of his last 25 starts, at least in regards to a decision. He has a ERA of a 232, 142 strikeouts. You take a look past that start against the LA Angels. He has been pretty dynamite. That is the only start since the beginning of May in which he's given up more than three earned runs himself. We know that the Tampa Bay Rays have more depth with regards to their bullpen and everything like that. And the Baltimore Orioles, they do a good job of being able to hit lefties a little bit better than righties because Hanser Alberto, gentleman that is hitting right around a 310 for the year, hits nearly 400 against lefties, so that has been big for the team. Jonathan VR has done a decent job of getting on base. 260 average for him. Trey Boom Boom Mancini hitting just below 290. He has provided 17 home runs. You got like that. Renato Nunez has went deep 21 times so far this year as well. He's hitting a 240. Jan Sisko hitting a 275 along with Pedro Severino. But then you've got a lot of guys that have really been struggling with the bat. Chris Davis, Keon Broxson, Stevie Wilkerson, Richie Martin. All these guys are hitting a 220 or lower. Rio Ruiz has upped his average to a 240, so that has been a good sign. But Dwight Smith Jr. seen his average up to a 238, and Anthony Santander is hitting a 280. Then with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've just got a whole bunch of guys that are hitting between a 275 and a 290, and all of which have provided right around, I would say, 14 to 16 home runs. Austin Meadows is certainly in that neighborhood. He's a gentleman that's hitting 290. He has only 12 home runs, but Tommy Pham, Yandy Diaz, Nathaniel Lowe and Avisail Garcia are all in this neighborhood. You've got Willie Adamas seeing his average dip to a 238. Travis Arnault has been up and down with his average as well. He's hitting more around a 230 for the year. And Joey Wendell sitting at the Mendoza line. But you got to like what you're seeing out of Kevin Kiermaier hitting a 255. Very good plus defender as well. And with the Baltimore Orioles, their bullpen is absolutely atrocious. It is completely spent. Now, in the second game, I'm probably going to be looking at Charlie Morton and the Tampa Bay Rays along with an under. This is probably a game that I'm going to be looking at the Rays on the run line in both of these because out of their 53 wins so far this year, 46 have been by two-plus runs. So I certainly think that's something that's going to continue, though I do think that Jonathan Means provides a good start there. So that is going to be for 971-972, which is actually game two. 983-984, the early game. I think Aaron Brooks gets this right. I think Brandon McKay delivers a good start. This is a game that I'm going to be looking at the over, and I'm going to be looking at the Rays on the run line. So those are my plays there. Hopefully I kept that as straight as possible for you guys. And as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed, at GNRSquarty1 when a line is posted. And if you just got confused by that breakdown. 973-974 on the bang rotation. The Cleveland Indians play off the Minnesota Twins. Jake Odorisi goes for the Twins. Trevor Bauer for the Indians. Your total on this game is 8.5. The under is just between minus 110 and minus 
115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Indians, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 138 and minus 145. Your plus price with the Minnesota Twins between plus 128 and plus 134. And I do like what I've seen out of the Minnesota Twins so far this year. Jake Odorizzi certainly is seeing a little bit of regression, but Trevor Bauer has been so wildly inconsistent, it's not even funny. Over the course of his last seven starts, he has given up zero or one runs in four of them. In the other three, he's given up five. Meanwhile, Jake Odorizzi, the recent form has not been there. In each of his last four starts, he's given up at least three earned runs. But all in all for the year, he's been pretty good. 10-4 record, 3-1-5 ERA. He's given up just 10 home runs and 88 and two-thirds innings. And he's backed up by a lineup that has been straight fire all year long. 166 home runs in their first 89 games. Now, they do seem to be cooling down, but we also have to keep in mind, Minnesota Twins on the road, entering into Friday 28-18, and 18, most profitable team on the road in the big leagues. And it's all let off by Max Kepler and uh, and Eddie Rosario. These two men have a combined 41 home runs. Rosario's hitting more around a 280. Kepler, a 265. Jorge Polanco hitting above 300 himself. You've got Nelson Cruz, who in a limited amount of at-bats, hitting just below a 275. He has went deep 16 times. You've also got to like the fact that you're getting some production out of Byron Buxton, Jason Castro, and Jonathan Scope at the bottom of the lineup. All these guys hitting right around a 250 to a 260 there, and with Byron Buxton, he's been able to provide a good amount of speed. Miguel Sano's hitting a home run every 12 or 13 at bats, 240 average for him. Luis Arias is hitting just below a 400 ever since he's been called up to the big leagues. Mitch Garver is hitting a 290. Marwan Gonzalez, a 255. Well, this goes on and on. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, you are getting a lot out of Mr. Carlos Santana. This is a gentleman that has 20 home runs, is hitting just below a 300. He's been a good table setter. Orlando Mercado is providing a 283 average, and Francisco Lindor just hitting just below a 300 himself. 16 home runs for him. Jason Kipnis has a 240 average. He's certainly been improving throughout the year, though I will say that there are a couple guys who are letting the team down with the bat. I know that Gregory Allen looked good going into the All-Star break, but he, Bobby Bradley, and Jose Ramirez only below a 220. Roberto Perez, though, has really come on along with Jake Bowers. Jake Bowers hitting now around a 245, and Roberto Perez nearly a 260 to go with his 16 home runs. But I do like the bullpen of both these teams with the Cleveland Indians. They've got one of the top bullpens out there in the big leagues with regards to ERA, if actually not the best. And with the Minnesota Twins, guys like Ty Duffy, Mike Morin and company certainly have been able to do the job. So I do think that we're going to see a lower scoring game, but I do think that Jake Odorizzi is going to be able to get online and is going to be able to lift the Twins a victory, and I have a little bit more faith in their bat. So going to be riding the plus price of the Twins and the under. I've already locked in the under. Seen steam come in on the Cleveland Indians, so currently in wait and see mode there. 975-976 on the bang rotation. The Detroit Tigers hit the road to face off against the Kansas City Royals. Brad Keller goes for the Royals. Matthew Boyd for the Detroit Tigers. Your total on this game is 9. The under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. This is a pick'em game. The Kansas City Royals are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 109. Meanwhile, with the Tigers, anywhere between minus 101 and minus 105. And you've got a pair of pitchers that have certainly seen their struggles, but I do think that Brad Keller being able to Return home is big for him because he's been giving up nearly all of his home runs on the road. I believe that he's only given up one home run at home, and his ERA is a couple points lower at home compared to on the road. For Keller, one of the least profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues, 4-9 record, 4-4-7 ERA. 
but has given up just nine home runs so far this year. His walks are an issue. He's given out four and a half per nine innings, but with Matthew Boyd, we're seeing a lot of regression for him. Six and six record, 387 ERA. We'll say he's fielding independent among the top 15 pitchers out there in the big leagues, but he just has not looked good ever since the start of June. Ever since the start of June, he's given up at least three runs in every one of his starts. And with the Kansas City Royals, even though you don't have a whole bunch of mashers, you do have a man in Jorge Soler that can certainly take you deep. He's got 23 home runs, 240 average for him. Whit Merrifield has certainly been doing a great job of being able to set the table for this team as well. At the leadoff spot, 306 average. Adalberto Mondesi and Alex Gordon both hitting between a 270 and a 275. And in the case of Mondesi, he's got over... 45 RBI, and he leads the league in regards to stolen bases. Hunter Dozier is hitting a 280. Double-digit amount of home runs for him. Chesler Cuthbert hitting a 285 as well. But then you do have a couple guys that are really laying the team down with the bat. These guys are all hitting a 232 or lower. Billy Hamilton, Nicky Lopez, Martin Maldonado, Starling at the center field spot. Cam Gallagher, Lucas Suda, Ryan O'Hearn. So, Obviously, that's a long list right there. But for the Detroit Tigers, you know what? They've got a lot of guys that are struggling with the bat as well. Grayson Griner, Jordan Nix, Jody Mercer, Jaimir Candelario, and Gordon Beckham are all hitting below a 220 or lower. And I believe that Roddy Rodriguez, also in that neighborhood. And I will say Nick Cassianos hitting 285 is nice. Victor Reyes is hitting nearly a 260. And Miguel Cabrera is hitting a 303. But Brandon Dixon is right now your top power hitter for this team. He's hitting a 240 to go 12 home runs. So that leaves a lot to be desired. And then you've got Nico Goodrum and Christian Stewart both hitting around a 235 as well. So this Detroit Tigers team has been about as offensive as Ned Flanders recently. And I do think that Brad Keller is going to be able to deliver a good start here. And I do think that both these guys are actually going to look pretty decent. But I actually have a little bit more faith here in the Kansas City Royals bullpen as well. We've seen guys like Scott Barlow, Ian Kennedy, and Jake Diekman look good. I will say for the Detroit Tigers, they've been a little bit more solid in the bullpen, but it certainly has been more taxed recently as well. So for that reason, going to be going with the Royals and the under. Just some wait and see mode on both of these plays. As we move on to 977-978 on the bank rotation, you've got the Texas Rangers playing also the Houston Astros. Wade Miley, hoping to have a party out there in Arlington and in the USA, is going for the Astros. It's going to be a climb for him because he goes up against Mike Miner of the Texas Rangers. Total on this game is between 9.5 and, and 10. On the 9.5, your over has juice between minus 115 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 10, the under is minus 120. The over is even. Once again, you're going to be able to get Mike Miner at a plus price. Anywhere between plus 115 and plus 122. Want to lay it with the Astros? That's anywhere between minus 125 and minus 132. And guess what? I keep hearing regression's going to come in for Mike Miner, and I'm going to continue to not listen to those buffoons until I see it with my own eyes. We are going to be riding with the Texas Rangers. Right now, you've got a war of a 5.7 with Mike Miner. That's one of the best we've ever seen for a pitcher through the first half of a year. 8-4 record, 2.54 ERA. The guy has been an innings eater. In 117 innings pitched, he's given up just 12 home runs. He's got about a strikeout every nine innings. Now, the walks are a little bit of an issue. He's issuing right around 3.3, 3.4 walks per nine innings. And you take a look at his most recent start, four and a third innings, gave up three runs against the LA Angels. But we all know that that was a very unique situation with that being the day after Tyler Skaggs unfortunately left this earth. But 
With that said, Mike Miner has not given up more than three earned runs in a start since April. And then you take a look at Wade Miley. He's been a little bit up and down. 101 and two-thirds innings so far this year. He's given up 14 home runs, and he's been solid. 328 ERA. His first start of July, he gives up just one run there. And you take a look ever since the beginning of May. He has not given up more than four earned runs in a start. And he's only given up four earned runs in two of those starts. So all in all, he's not providing you really with stellar starts, but he's at the same time just being adequate. But I will say for the Texas Rangers, this is the most profitable team out there in baseball with regards to home games. And I do like the way that they're trending right now, and it's all led by Joey Gallo. He's got a batting average that's hovering just below a 275, 20 home runs for him. Sin Chu Chu has really heated up himself. He's now hitting above a 290. He had his 14th home run of the year yesterday. Willie Calhoun is hitting a 280. Rune Odor, we had this conversation with Dan Zaborski a few days ago. He has been awful all year long, but he seems to be heating up as well. We've got a couple other guys that are laying the team down with the bat. Tim Fedorowicz, Ronald Guzman, Ezrubel Cabrera, Jeff Mathis are all guys that are in a 230 or lower, but Danny Santana hitting above a 300 as well. Noah Mazzara, double-digit amount of home runs, hitting nearly 270. And with the Houston Astros, it does feel like there's a little bit of rust to be shaken out for George Springer and Jose Altuve, but I will say that you've got Michael Brantley hitting above a 320. Jordan Alvarez, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, hitting nearly a 340. He's getting a home run every like 12 or so at bats as well. Josh Reddick is hitting a 290, and Yuri Gurriel has really got not 275 average. Not drawing a lot of walks, but he got his 15th home run of the year yesterday. But then you got Robinson Chirinos, Tyler White, Tony Kemp, Max Stassi, all hitting a 225 or lower. I will say Miles Straw hitting a 290 is nice. And both these teams have had solid bullpens recently. With the Astros, all year long, they've been good. They've got a top five bullpen ERA for the big leagues for the year. But with the Texas Rangers, guys like Jose LeClerc, Jeffrey Springs, and company, they've all been coming alive as well. So for that reason, going to be all aboard the Texas Rangers, and I'm going to be on the under with regards to the Rangers. Currently in Wayne C mode, Sharps are wanting to fade Mike Miner again, but I've already locked in this total under. 979, 980 on the betting rotation. This is going to be a unique one. The Seattle Mariners are going to be on the road against the LA Angels. I have no earthly idea who the Seattle Mariners are going to be trotting out there for a starter. This is to be announced. Meanwhile, with the Angels, it is Matt Harvey on the mound, which means that this game is off the board. Matt Harvey has not started a game in about two months. And Matt Harvey, when he was starting games, not good. He's got a record of a 2-4 and four with a 7.50 ERA, a 1.52 whip, is giving up right around two home runs per nine innings, is giving out four walks per nine innings, and his swing and miss stuff is not there. In 48 innings, 35 strikeouts. We have absolutely no idea who's going to be pitching for the Seattle Mariners. I do think that it's probably going to be one of the guys like Tommy Malone that is going to have an opener in for him. But with the Seattle Mariners, you do have the advantage of being able to have a lot of guys that are hitting for power. And for that matter, the LA Angels do as well. But for the Seattle Mariners, God like the way that Daniel Vogelback has 21 home runs. His batting average is up to a .238, which is where Malik Smith is as well. But Malik Smith, 23 stolen bases, have been, has been very good in that regard. Domingo Santana, 63 RBI, 18 home run, 286 average. That's good. J.P. Crawford is hitting a .277. Omar Navarez and Thomas Murphy. One of the best catcher tandems out there in the baseball. They have the third most combined home runs of the catcher spot in the big leagues with 23. Thomas Murphy hitting a 270. Omar Navarez just below a 300. But then you got a couple guys that are doing a very good job with regards to their batting average. Kyle Seager, Mac Williamson, Dylan Moore, 
all hitting below a 210 for the team. But D. Gordon, 15 stolen bases himself. He's hitting an early 270. And then when you take a look at the LA Angels, got like that Cole Calhoun and Albert Pujols have been combined 32 home runs so far this year. Both these men hitting between a 234 and a 240. Justin Upton has returned to lineup. He's hitting a 270. And Dorilton Simmons is back as well. He's hitting a 285. Now Justin Bohr's only hitting a 181, but since coming off the injured list, he's been doing a good job of providing home runs. Jonathan Lucroy is out of the lineup, so that means that Garneau is going to be at the catcher spot, likely entering this game with about a 260 batting average. Shoei Otani and Mike Trout are both hitting above a 300. In the case of Otani, he's hitting a home run every 14 or so at-bats with Mike Trout. 28 dingers, 67 RBI. Guy is absolutely amazing. And Daniel Fletcher is hitting a 295 himself. So this is a game in which my early lean is going to be to the over because Matt Harvey stinks. Whatever the Seattle Mariners trot out there, likely not going to be good either, but I'm going to be in full fade Matt Harvey mode. Right now, early lean is to the Seattle Mariners, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSGrady1 for set plays there. And the final game is 981-982 on the betting rotation as the Boston Red Sox play OCLA Dodgers. Ross Stripling goes for the Dodgers. Chris Sale goes for the Red Sox. Total on this game is ranging between 9 and 9.5. And With the 9s, the over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105 on the 9 and S. Under is minus 120. The over is even. If you like the Red Sox, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 170. Meanwhile, plus price with the Dodgers, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 155. Now, I will say this. Chris Sale, least profitable pitcher out there in baseball. If you bet $100 on every one of his starts so far this year, you're down more money with him than anyone else in baseball. But Ross Stripling, ever since he's gotten back into the fold as a starter, certainly has not been good. I'm not sure why the Dodgers mess with his rhythm. He was an all-star starter last year. Perhaps the all-star game did him a little bit of good. But you take a look at his last three starts. He has not made it past the fifth inning in any of them. And he's wound up giving up a combined nine runs in them, including giving up four in his last two starts. Chris Sale, meanwhile, he should be better than his 3-8 record. 4-0-4 ERA. He's given out 26 walks in 107 innings. The long ball's been a little bit of an issue with him. He's given out right around 1.35 per nine innings, but he's had two starts since April 18th in which he's given up more than four earned runs. Now, I will say, recent form, maybe not the best. In his last three starts, he's given out three runs, five runs, and five runs, so... Obviously, not too many redeeming qualities there, but what you do have a whole bunch of redeeming qualities with is the bats of both these teams, and probably the most prolific of all of them is that man, Cody Bellinger. He entered into Friday's action with a 336 average, 30 home runs, 71 RBI. Corey Seager is back in the fold for the LA Dodgers. That's going to be big. He and Chris Taylor both really improved their averages from the beginning of the year. You've got Taylor, who's hitting more in the neighborhood of a 270, Seager a 275. Justin Turner is hitting a 290. You've got Alex Verdugo hitting just above a 300. Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes are both letting the team down, along with AJ Pollock, who is fresh off the injured list. These three guys hitting below a 230, but Max Muncy has done a nice job of being able to supply some power. 263 average, 22 home runs for him. You've also got David Freeze hitting above a 300, so reinforcements have arrived for the Dodgers. And it looks like reinforcements are arriving with regards to guys getting online for the Boston Red Sox. Andrew Benatendi and Mookie Betts hitting between a 270 and a 275. Christian Vasquez and J.D. Martinez both hitting above a 300. And in the case of both these men, they have a combined 33 home runs. You've got Rafael Devers hitting a 327, 17 home runs for him. Xander Bogarts has been amazing himself, 292 average, 17 home runs on his leisure. You also have Michael Chavis, who's got 15 home runs, 263 average. Brock Holt is hitting above a 300. And Jackie Bradley Jr. and Eduardo Nunez have been upping their averages. I will say, with the Boston Red Sox, 
I was a little bit more bullish on their bullpen a few weeks ago than I am now. Guys like Marcus Walden, Matt Barnes, Heath Embry and company have been letting the team down a little bit. And with the LA Dodgers, I actually am a little bit more up on their bullpen. Guys like Julio Arias and Yimi Garcia and company have been doing a better job, but I just don't think that Stripling is going to be able to give a lot of length for the Dodgers. And I do think that this is going to be a lights out Chris Sale performance here. So for that reason, going to be riding with the under and I'm going to be looking at the run line with the Boston Red Sox. Currently seeing a plus 110 price on the run line of the Red Sox. I'd like to be able to get a little bit more, but I'll be playing it regardless. And that will do it for the Saturday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man, J.D. Sharp, who is the founder of SportsBetIQ.com and also a tremendous host out here in Las Vegas, Nevada, for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this buying podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at underscore one And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.